welcome back. It's Krista Living Sober, and we have Elsie from Elsie's Recovery to talk about a 22-year drug addiction, sobriety, how he helps guide addicts struggling in addictions, people who are already in recovery, and anyone else who is sober curious find their way to sobriety and motivates them to continue staying sober. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here with you. It's great. I'm happy to have you on my podcast. Would you like to start off by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Lona. Uh, I go by LC. I am a sober trans man in the world of just trying to help other people understand that there's another option. Like you said in the beginning, you know, I spent 22 years addicted, deeply addicted to drugs and, and alcohol and behaviors that were just dangerous. It, it, it was less for the high and more for the escape, you know, to be able to escape myself, um, knowing that you are not in the right body from like the age of four, whenever we first start learning about gender. And that's when I realized that something was wrong with me. And then from there, experiencing a lot of deep childhood trauma was just really, I I really couldn't understand what I was doing. Like, I really believed that I was God's little joke. And that's what I, that's what I believed myself to be. And, and I just didn't know there was another option. I didn't know that underneath all of that, that I could choose happiness and that it was available and that it lived inside of me. And so that's where that that's where and all that take, you know, did take me to the brink of death and all that did take me to that beautiful space of rock bottom. And, you know, now eight years in recovery three years into gender transition, I'm at home in myself and, you know, happy to be a part of the world. Yeah, that's awesome. What was your drug of choice? Or did well, you kind of like mix? Yeah, yeah. Um, but my my biggest downfall was opiates. Um, of oh. course, started with pain medications and then, um, and then heroin pretty quickly. So that was the one that gave me, though I tried everything and I had a, I always am able to tell people that I can kind of understand how you feel or what your addiction was like. Cause I had a spiel of addiction with everything from, you know, the meth and alcohol and cocaine. And, and so, but it was the opiates that, that finally gave me that, that feeling of just, everything's okay for this moment yeah. everything's okay so you preferred like the downers like the um like the kind of I don't know how to describe yeah. it because I was I, more like an alcohol upper person but. yeah yeah and I you know that was the surprising thing for me when I developed a heavy cocaine addictions because that yeah. was my my um addict you know like excuse I guess I thought oh well this is okay for me to do because it's not my drug of choice so truly I'm staying clean from my drug of choice and then I quickly found myself in an absolute down and out addiction to cocaine and I thought now I can't really say you know that that I'm a downer person or an upper but I used to believe that I was a downer you know like I hated uppers I was like what's wrong with people I don't want to be up like that And then I got there. And so, but I feel now 
you know, that I have a, a place of awareness in my life, that I can look back over that and realize that instead of being God's little joke, it was a mission for understanding. So like I had to touch everything so that I could be able to touch everyone that oh, needed that. to be touching, yeah. you know? And so I, I don't regret one second of it. I, you know, mm-hmm. no regrets. it's amazing. <laughs> yes. None. Lessons. <laughs> How long have you been sober? I've been sober now for eight years. I would call myself being in recovery for for nine years, but I've been, you know, completely without illegal substance for eight years. The My first year in recovery was like, I think a lot of people's, it came with a lot of slips and falls. I was steady working on myself in a positive um, you know, aspect. I was working through my trauma. I was in an outpatient program. And, you know, there were just some things that, you know, got to me and they were more overwhelming than my, than my new coping skills were able to handle. And I had a couple trip ups. And um, I remember on April 18th of 2013, I was, I was getting ready to roll a blunt. And I had gotten myself out of control with, with weed. My wife had been in a, in a two year heroin relapse. Um, We had just had to admit her to a mental institution. It was just me and my son, which was, you know, my stepson. It was just me and him. He was a teenager. I was $10 weed to death. And it was on that moment that I realized, wait a second. So like, he's going through all this stuff. His mom's not here. He doesn't know what's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to $10 us to death. Um, so it's like, I had this conversation with him in my head while I had that, you know, dime bag of weed laying out on the plate, getting ready that I was just telling him, okay, look, man, I tried my best. I really did. And I do love you. This has nothing to do with you, but, but I'm just not strong enough to do this. And and we're going to be able to stay here in this house probably for about three months. That'll be as long as, you know, till they kick us out. And then you're going to go live with, you know, whoever. Um, and, and, but, but I gave it my best. And that was the, I didn't have that conversation with him. I had that in my head and it was so real that I looked down at that weed and I was like, this just isn't worth it to me. And I don't want people to get mad at that and say, ah, start screaming about weed. Weed's not the yeah. problem. Weed wasn't the problem. I was the problem. You know, I was the one with the addiction. I was the one that could take anything in those moments to escape. Mm -hmm. And that just happened to be what was there and what was available and what did it for me. So I have no issues with weed and, and that being a part of people's recovery. I think however you recover, that's beautiful for you and I support it. But for me in that time, I, you know, I, I just, I could not do that in that time. And it wasn't acceptable like that either in those times. So the outpatient yeah. program wasn't going to let me keep doing it. And, but that was the moment that I, you know, I turned it around and just said, I got to do something completely different. And I realized that I could feel my feelings and not, yeah. you know, like not fall apart. Yeah. Like I thought. <laughs> yeah. 
It's tough at first, but it is. Oh, feelings. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Isn't it like they were just waiting behind the curtain yeah. of your escape and, oh. you know, bringing their friends in? So as soon as oh, yeah. you got sober, all it was feelings. like, <laughs> and yeah. It was like, yeah, a bomb went off and all the yeah. feelings appeared. <laughs> yes. And it was a mess to like yes. clean up every part of that. <laughs> oh, yes. My God. It's terrible. Oh, my goodness. It is. Yeah. It is. But it's a beautiful thing when you can actually like in yes. time live with those feelings and not have to escape them yeah it really is and I think mm -hmm. that it really just comes down to practicing you know if yeah. we think back to our beginnings of our addiction we didn't learn how to use every time we felt something it was like we had to start learning to use and coping mm -hmm. in that way and it was an adjustment you know mind you not a not a as hard of maybe as an, of an adjustment as it is trying to reverse that. But, you know, if we just, if we start going through it and we surround ourselves with, you know, amazing resources, because that was one of the things I had to do. I had to study myself. I had to know what I needed and I went out and I got it. And, and, and never mind whoever's listening, like never mind those excuses that your head gives you. I don't have money. I don't have insurance. There's no resources around me because I had none of that stuff. I had no money, no, you know, no possible thought of resources. I had no insurance. You know, I, I had all the excuses, Oh yeah. but I had to make something bigger than me. And in the beginning, of course, it's not necessarily going to be you, but find the one thing that is bigger than you. And, and don't let anybody make you feel bad because their one thing, my one thing was my son. It, I don't care if you've got seven children and you love them all. If that's not your one thing, that's all right. But find your one thing, that thing that keeps you moving through, right. you know? Yeah. And, excuses are so hard to fall into. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a yeah. trap. <laughs> it is. It is. Because they make sense because they're true. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? mean? And it's like a comfort thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, it's like a pity thing. You're like, sure. you know? I'm going to sure. make excuses so I can get out of this when, you know, all these resources and whatever helped us and what's the word, options, availability, mm -hmm. all that was there. But, you know, we were blind. Yeah. We couldn't see that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you definitely have to be in a space, I think. I think that's why rock bottom is such an amazing place to be. And it yeah. sounds like an oxymoron to say that rock bottom is your most beautiful place, but it right. really is because when you get to that space, it's like you've played all the excuses out and you're either you're, you're desperate for, you know, something like something's got to give. And that moment that you realize that nobody's coming to save you and like nobody's showing up to make this better and there's no magic pill. And if there was, we would take it to the limit and find a way to abuse right. it anyway. So, you know, that yeah. moment where you just say, you know, I, I got to make a change. You've had enough. <laughs> yeah. Just had enough of this yeah. is a beautiful, glorious moment. It is. So how, I know you mentioned part of that, but how was your childhood or family dynamic growing up? Oh, terrible. Just yeah. terrible. I'm an old guy. So um, I was born to teenage parents that were not in love. They just, you know, 
you know, my mom was making her boyfriend jealous with this other guy she knew from high school. And then the next thing you know, she's got pregnant. And in Southern Alabama, which is where we're from in 1974, you know, the adage was, well, y'all have to get married now. And I, my mother's mom had said to her that she was either going to have to have an abortion or she was going to have to give me up for adoption. And my grandfather fought that and said, no, that's not happening. So, you know, I had a teenage mom who was 17 when I was born, um, trying to play house with a guy she barely knew, trying to outrun her parents who were then always wanting to take her baby from her. And she was a, she was a young girl with her own trauma issues and, and abandonment issues. So she married a lot of men because her family had made her think as a woman you can't do this without a man and so that was her belief system and therefore we went through a lot of monstrous men so we i suffered through um sexual abuse that started when i was five and went until i was 11 um a lot of physical and mental trauma in that watching my mom being beaten and almost killed and being very afraid all the time of that. Um, I learned very quickly to read the room and I knew by counting the beers that this man drank of what kind of night we were going to have. So, you know, I'm five, six and seven years old and I'm counting the beers. He used to put the, back then we had the peel off caps and he'd drop it down in the can and when he wanted another one, he would jingle the can. And that meant somebody better get up and go get oh, him wow. one. Yeah. And so I would count the jing- you know, the jingles. So if I was in another room, I, I knew how many constantly. Yeah. And so I always... Oh, it's like you were conditioned. Yes, yes, so... very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Um, and so, you know, that went on. And then when my mom finally left him, we went through a very... She stayed single a very short while um, because he had lots of mental problems and was stalking us and leaving bullets in the, you know, Mm -hmm. it was really awful. And then she married another man who was so mentally and physically abusive to me and especially my little sister um, who was six years younger than me that I got to a place where, you know, I was dealing with and and not forgetting like all this whole time I'm carrying this, this, this secret within me that, you know, my, I'm a boy and my body is beginning to like morph out on me. Like I'm, I'm morphing into this female and that the abuse, the one thing I hated about the abuse so much was that it made me, I, I couldn't be a boy if he was doing this to me. Like, you know, your child mind rationalizes things. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just really conditioned me, me to be very um, unforgiving of my feminine, feminine self, uh, very hate. It's like I had this standoff, this, this hate relationship within myself going on. And I think because of what I watched my mom go through, knowing that she was so smart, and hardworking, and always watching her have to be overrun by a man, and then what was happening to me, I just, femininity to me 
was weak. And I couldn't let that be known. I, I didn't want to let that be seen in me either because right. it made me vulnerable. And so the whole time, you know, I'm going through this, just just being locked up in this body. So, you know, my growing up was just a mix of, yeah, just a that's, mix of trauma. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Abuse, mental, physical, you know, you had the secret and then like the hating yeah hating yourself yes and then you feel stuck and that's a lot for a child it was i began self-mutilating when i was 14 yeah and that was that was that release because i didn't have anybody to talk to so i wasn't saying anything about this stuff i was holding it all in and it was like it was just bottled up and i i would say that that was probably one of my first escapes of yeah. of like you know because when when that yeah. happens when you do that and you release that yeah. then it sends out these endorphins and all these dopamine and serotonin within you people say oh doesn't mm-hmm. it hurt and i'm like well yeah i mean it hurt in a way right. but it was better than the heart hurt you know right. this was a hurt that it was almost like mm-hmm. as you watch your skin open up it's like it yeah. releases all that that you're holding and and so i would say that was probably like one of my first mm-hmm. big escapes from that yeah i went so. through that Did i used you? to like cut myself and scratch you. myself i don't know yeah. it was just weird but no, any I understand. type of pain yes and then, any like, type. i would like throw up and i don't know yeah. just stupid escaping things like that yeah. but, you know we didn't understand when we were younger but that's how no. we first escaped i think yeah that's true yeah we're we're survivors yeah. and we yeah. were just figuring out how to survive and mm-hmm. And live yeah. in our skin at that time. And it's so hard as a child, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I did get adopted and I did struggle with um, abandonment issues and mm-hmm. like living with an adopted white older family and hating loving myself and trying to figure out where I fit in the world, wow. you know. And then yeah. I found the alcohol at age 12. Um, wow. Did you start uh, using around that? 11. Of age? 11. Yep. Okay. I found the alcohol at 11. Yeah. yeah. And yep. that can become so dangerous. Ugh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because your brain's not developed. Yeah. And, you know, you think about an 11, 12 year old kid finding the secret of alcohol and, <sighs> and, and it's so hard at that young when you flip that switch to yeah. then flip the switch back off, you know, right. especially when we live in a society that is so many, many times built around drinking and, yeah. And you see people around you and, and families that are partaking of this and they make it look fun. But for yeah. you, it's a whole different, right. like I remember being at parties with my friends, you know, in high school and everybody's drinking and I'm looking around at them and they're all having fun. And I realized for me, this is a whole different thing. Like for me, I'm trying to drown out, yeah. you know, massive feelings. This isn't just fun. This is survival. Yeah. I would. You know, I That's so true. It is. You know, I it thought is. I was doing what everyone else was doing until right. by age like fifteen, I'm in and out of courts because yeah. I'm having issues with my emotions, mostly like anger and mm. whatever it is I was trying to escape. And then, you know, ending up in and out of court, getting arrested, like what? Like at fifteen yeah. and no one else is having the issues me i'm not normal yeah yes yes you're yeah you're speaking but that, that didn't language. stop me yeah no oh gosh no no because the the switch was flipped you know it was like regardless it was almost like that feeling of you can't do anything to me 
that I'm not already going through within myself. Right. You know what I mean? Like you can arrest me. I was being locked up in psychiatric, you know, yeah. group homes and facilities and all of this stuff at that same age. And you're like, what else? Like you can't match the pain I feel inside or the hatred. Yeah. And then not to mention that when you lose control, it's like the people around you then switch into that shame place it's like what's wrong with you you know that that you lost control and couldn't handle this right it's a vicious they don't understand if you're uh, if you're not an addict you don't understand and you know i don't understand them i don't understand how people can binge drink on a weekend and then everything's fine like i wish i could have done that yeah yeah me too me too (laughs) I wish. So then you you do think you became dependent right away or did it take some time? No, I knew that first time I drank the alcohol, I was like, oh, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is, this is exactly what I needed. And I knew that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I did this, um, this podcast show with a great lady named Beth. I'd love to connect you with. Um, And she has a, a podcast called the safe home podcast. And she is the parent to her son whom they adopted. Um, and he was, um, I think from China and they adopted him when he was born and he, he, he's been, he's going through, he's only 18 now and he's going through the same things. And we were talking about that very thing. And it was, it was the same thing that I told her, like the moment that I tried this stuff called Rush, and this is an old timers drug, but it was an inhalant that was back in, you know, the 70s and 80s. They sold it under VCR head cleaner. That was how they could sell it legally. But it came in a little bottle and you just sniffed it and it gave you this crazy whirl head and it was awful, Mm -hmm. awful. But I remember between the alcohol and that stuff, I was already a fiend. I remember following that one kid around that had given me that rush. And I was like, I got to get some more of that. Where can I get some more? Like I'm 12 years old. Like, isn't that crazy how that works? I, that just brought back memories of me and my friends stealing dust cleaner for like computers. And we would inhale that because of that rush feeling crazy. Yep. Yep. And it's really a disgusting feeling, isn't it? Like it feels so terrible. Yeah. Like I needed to lose more brain cells. (laughs) Right. But Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. But it's terrible. Like I just felt like, you know, I, I, I think of that movie Friday and that, that character Felicia all the time, you know, and, and I felt like her over that, over that a rush and alcohol. Yeah. And it was, it was amazing the way, cause a child doesn't have a moderation. You don't come with a moderation gear within you naturally. Like that's something that's learned and taught by your family. And mm-hmm. You know, like so, I bypass that. Yeah, switch. but then when you're not taught that, you're like, yep. kinda <laughs> off the leash. Yeah, like, like that. Off the leash <laughs> you are not trained, <laughs> right? I like off the leash for sure. Yeah, that's great. That's oh, what. Man. That's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After your first drink, where did it go from there? It went to I had the rush. And then from the rush, once that was an absolute big no, he wasn't going to give me any more. Um, 
I went to marijuana. I disagree with people saying marijuana is the gateway drug because I didn't really feel that was it. I think alcohol was more the gateway for me because, you know, marijuana didn't make me feel that far out. You know, I couldn't forget my issues, but it was just a natural progression. And then when I was 19 is when I realized that you could take pain medicine for fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that was at that time, I started developing a very serious and heavy addiction to narcotic pain medicines. Um, But again, we didn't know at that time that you could be addicted to those. I just knew you could take it and it was really amazing. Was it Oxycontin back then or what was? It it was actually, I ended up having some liquid Demerol left over from having a tonsil surgery. And a friend of mine, my best friend at the time, he and I just went on a six hour road trip and we just shared the bottle. And by the time we got where we were going, which was six hours away, we had finished the bottle and I would be pretty sure to say we were both overdosing because we were real jittery and not feeling well. And, and we knew we had gone too far, but the difference between he and I was, is that he didn't need it the next day. Mm-hmm. I was searching for it the next day. Yeah. Like when I woke up from that, I thought that's my life. That's it. That's all I want out of life is to feel the way I felt mm-hmm. then. And, you know, I was kind of off, off the leash. Mm-hmm. If you would yeah. say yeah. I was gone from that moment. That's all I thought about. And it was mm-hmm. drinking. Like, so there was never mm-hmm. hardly a time that I was straight because I was right. awkward in my body too. Right. And I didn't know, you know, during those times, I was still in the South. I was still going to school. I I started going to college in the South. I was at a religious college. I was around, you know, all of these other girls, all of them always, because I I looked like I was awkward in female clothes and stuff. And so all the girls always wanted to do makeup and wanted to fix my hair and and all these things, because I guess they just think they're looking at this ugly duckling you know, girl and thought that they wanted to fix her up. But for me, it was just mortifying. And so I was having to like pretend to be in this other skin that was just awful. At the same time, you know, I was attracted to women. So it, it was this big, perfect storm, you know, 19 and 20 and 21 years old where, you know, it was like, I thought I was going to have to spend my life alone. And all I wanted to do was be in some kind of loving relationship. Needless to say, I had no idea what that looked like. I was constantly trying to feel outside of myself. So I didn't have to feel the awkwardness within myself. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was running to that. Yeah. I think a lot of people can, yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, for me personally, it was just, like, the race thing, because I'm half white, half black, you know, and then the whole adoption thing, and then, like, I grew up in a white town, and I didn't fit in with the minority kids and the white kids it's like it's just like i found yeah. my i found myself with the misfits i found myself with the, yes. the people who were like the outsiders the outcasts yes yes and like that's where i felt home and maybe that wasn't such a good idea but but know. it was the you know I it was the best yeah. yes 
Exactly. I mean, I think that's why we make so many trauma bonds while we're in yeah. active addiction, because yeah, we feel so like easy. these people get us, you know, yeah. and I hear what you're saying about that. That's why I share my transition story, my being transgender so much, because it's mm -hmm. so able to relate. Everyone's looking for their authentic truth. Mm -hmm. Everyone has had that moment where they have felt like, well, I don't belong here and I'm not accepted here. Who am I really within myself? I'll compromise myself to, you know, be with these kids because they at least let me around them. And, you know, yeah. it's these things that where we feel for ourselves because we're not taught in our system of society to be authentic. It's changing now because we are changing in collective consciousness, yeah. but it hadn't always been this way. And I think that the more we can share these journeys and, and listen, gender transition is a lot like recovery. I mean, there is, there's not a magic shot that you take or hormone or surgery you can have to say I'm transgender and tomorrow be in the body that you want to see. There's this long period where your body has to change from the inside out and you're awkward and you're greasy and you're, you know, everything's changing. And that's the same thing as recovery or anyone's search for their truth. It's awkward, you know, it is. And so we can all relate. We're not that different. So it's almost like some people kind of learn how to recover twice. Mm. Mm -hmm. you know that double recovery i never thought of yeah. that but yeah yeah that's a lot yeah it's a recovery and a rediscovery yeah. like that rediscovery i think is what comes after you learn that you can live without substance now we're in the rediscovery time and that rediscovery is realizing that all those things that you ran away from to get away from yourself the further you ran away, the more addicted you got, the more depressed you got. Mm -hmm. And that, that the answer was always to turn around and come back home to yourself. Yeah. And that's the rediscovery. And I think that's mm -hmm. the beautiful part when you can learn that, man, I'm this, I'm really this beautiful being on the inside of me. Like mm -hmm. for me, there was like this sadness of, I stopped myself from appreciating myself or getting to know myself because I was trying to fit in so that nobody would see my secret or so that people would accept me. Right. And I denied myself. And, right. and that was the, that was why I was suffering so much. And that mm -hmm. was the sufferer within me yeah. was the one being ignored. Mm -hmm. So what people were doing to me, You're I was doing to myself. Yourself, right. Yeah. It's yeah. hurtful. It's You're hurtful. Masks on every day. Yes. Not yes. living your true self, but yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like finding your true self and in sobriety. Like I mm. just became certified in yoga, and oh wow, like, that was an amazing journey because you know you find yourself. You know, it's a union with yourself, but also with others. And that's awesome. You know, like we all have this light inside of us, and it's mm. so so sad. Like you know to look back and see yourself when you were like trapped in that darkness and yeah you know like if i knew back then that i didn't have to be stuck in the darkness like there is like this huge awakening and yes you can see it you can feel yeah. it like, it is yeah. awesome i love it mm. 
like so Tiger many two. more people are coming into the light like you were yes. saying earlier like i love that that spiritual awakening or Mm, yeah did you did you go through a spiritual awakening i did i did i really did um i would say it hit me really hard about four years ago because before i started going through my transition i had already begun to speak out and share about recovery and i was doing that and, and had developed a very large platform and a very large following and um and I was talking to people about healing your root causes. Like that was my whole spiel. Like if you don't, if you don't heal the shit that's underneath the using, then you're always going to be just holding back, you know, using, and yeah. that gets tiring. And that's why we relapse. We can't hold back, you know, something with all our strength and not do anything to fix that. And so I had done a lot of work with working through my trauma and working through a lot of that. And I got to that last thing and it wouldn't let me go. And that was my transition. And I wanted to work through all of that stuff before because I wanted to be sure that I was not identifying as trans or something else because of my abuse. I wanted to make sure that that was that. And I had never planned to transition. And plus, I was 44 years old at the time. It was like, I'm way too old. This is not going to happen. Um, I saw Caitlyn Jenner come out. And even when I saw Chaz Bono go through his transition in the 90s or early 2000s, I was really pissed off because internally I knew I would never get to do that. But when I saw Caitlyn Jenner come out and I thought, what a, an effing warrior to be the biggest male figure in the world and come out and say, this is who I truly am yeah. and do it like that. And I thought that begged to me, it's like, if this person can step into their truth, what's your problem? And, you know, our son was graduating high school and, you know, I thought I don't have anybody, I don't have any more excuses to not become who I truly am. I had a supportive wife. Um, I had a supportive family. I had no excuse other than I didn't have the money and I didn't have insurance. The same gremlins that were before. But when I started the transition, I had learned to accept myself as a gay person in like the ministry. Um, I was, I identified as a, as a Christian. I call it dopamine Jesus Christian um, because we can, that'll be a whole nother show we could do together. Um, okay. <laughs> I think a lot of new recovery people drop into that dopamine Jesus thing and yeah. they don't realize it. I totally did. <laughs> yeah, I did too. We all did. Like, you know, like yeah. I, I try not to be even be angry with myself because it helped mm -hmm. me get to here because yeah. it caused me to ask the bigger question. And that was the thing. And that's where this awakening began because all of a sudden there was no spot for me. Like people did not accept me. They accepted me more in that world as a lesbian than they did as a trans person. And oh. I just kept and they kept attacking me, attacking me with scripture, which oh. just kills me because yeah. it's ridiculous. But I asked the question, I said, well, I need to know, because I know that I was born this way. I know that there's a purpose. I know that I didn't get 
I was led into this moment that I'm going through now, this transition, I need to know God on, on the truth. I want to know the truth. And it was opening that question that became the most daunting, scariest, and most fulfilling question of my life because everything that I had built, like we don't even know what we are absorbing about religion until we start asking questions and having all those old wrong belief systems basically torn down. Mm -hmm. You don't realize how much security you've built on them. And you're like, everything that started getting shaken up in my world, I was like, wait a minute, that's not what they told me. And that's not what they told me, but I knew I was being drawn in truth because I was living that, you know, I, it was living that I couldn't argue it because I was living it. And so coming to understand who I am as, you know, a divine being and what I've truly been given as empowerment and, and how much of my suffering I was choosing versus making a different choice, how much I was creating my own reality. All these things were hard to swallow, but it can't work if we never swallow it. You know what I mean? Like, like it, the pill doesn't work sitting on the counter and you're yeah. looking at it. Mm-hmm. The pill only works when you swallow and when you begin to put this stuff into action. And so my spiritual awakening has been an amazing gift. Mm-hmm. I live today with more truth and love for myself and others than I ever have. Mm-hmm. I I choose peace. I may not always get out in front of it enough to choose it in the moment, yeah. but I'm always aware. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what I think the scariest part of the awakening process is, is you can go over to dopamine spiritual awakening too. You know, like we can go that whole other side oh, yeah. and be into that toxic positivity mindset as well that we forget that, you know, we only know light because there's darkness and we yeah. only know darkness mm-hmm. because of the white. It's like the yin and the yang. It if is. you take the dark away, mm-hmm the white disappears, you know, the you light do disappears. Need both, yeah. You've got to have both. And I think that. And that's a part of each and every one of us. Absolutely. The light in the dark. Yes. It's just whatever yes. you give more power to. Mm, yes. Know. That is the absolute wonderful mm-hmm. truth. And if you think that there's not a wounded toddler still living in you, mm-hmm. and if you think there's not a wounded 11, 12 year old living in you, or in a wounded early teens, early 20s living in you, however old you are, you're wrong. Like we have to learn to love all of those parts of us, not not pretend they're not there or wish them away or mm-hmm. shove them out of the picture because those are the triggers that are coming back up in your life every day of your recovery, begging to be seen. Mm-hmm. Triggers really aren't there to make us want to use they're there to get our attention of something that needs to be acknowledged. Yeah. And, and that's that what is a big our body truth. does. Yeah. Yes, it it's does. Like when we're it, in pain or when we get sick, it's the body telling us something yes. needs to be healed. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, and I you think as for a the longest time, yeah. And for the longest time, I feel like 
maybe our minds and our bodies were doing that for us or telling us yeah. in a way, but we were just like, yeah, no, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want No, absolutely. Well, gosh, we live in a society, man, that just Ugh. everything is built for our ease. If you look at every new car that comes out, it's built with new brand new bells and whistles oh, to yeah. make things easy for you. Almost to the point now where we don't even have to park the freaking car by ourselves oh, anymore. Gosh, yeah. It's like, you know. Everything is done everything. for us. Like, yes. How are, how are we supposed to learn? How is anyone going to learn that way? Absolutely. Like, like it's do the not. Work. Yeah, you yeah. have to do the work. And the fulfillment is honestly within that journey. I thought that was cliche when people would say that to me in new, in new recovery because I was so used to escaping the journey. Like the journey was not anything I wanted to be a part of. And, you know, now, even on the worst days that I have, there's always something to be learned from it. And there's and, and so much of it is about choice, like, and, and learning. This was a big thing. Learning how much my energy and thoughts mattered. Because when I started my recovery journey eight years ago, that's where I started in my mind. Because I knew my thoughts were just gross, you know, like I yeah. knew they were wildly just awful. Mm -hmm. And that's I knew I had to start there. there. Toxic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very, mm -hmm. very. And I knew that, I mean, that's how we see the world, how we think mm -hmm. about the world actually designs what we see in the world. And that's pretty scary. If you're not paying attention to your thoughts, you think you're yeah. the victim of it. Like it, this is oh, happening yeah. to me yeah. when it's not, it's happening through me, you know, whatever yeah, I'm so focused true. on. It is. Mm -hmm. We, we go through things and it's so wild to me because we go through things like relationships. This is like the biggest one. And people say, why do I keep attracting the same kind of asshole? Yeah. There it is. Like, cause you're like, putting that same type of energy out there. Absolutely. Coming back every time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The you packaging may be cycle. different. And to do that is to become aware of it. I love people in new recovery that are beginning to become aware because you're on your way. Like right. when you start to become aware, I know it feels like shit. Those aha moments. Though, yeah. Yeah. I remember so in early recovery, the thought process, I totally had to change that. Oh, yeah. Number one. And that is one of the things that truly helped me changing yeah. your thought process every day. And, you know, I asked my higher power to take those anxieties and worries away and it, it something worked, but it was the change of your thought process. Yeah. Being yeah. grateful, just not dwelling on the past and the future, like the just for today reading today. Yeah. yeah. Just living in the moment, taking it one step, one day at a time. That's it. That's yeah. it. I remember he hearing this, this profound statement and having this moment where I don't remember who said it or, or where I read it, but it said, anxiety is living too far in the future mm -hmm. and depression is living too far in the past. Yeah. So like just hearing something like that gave me a beautiful gauge to, you know, come back into my body in those moments where I realize, oh my gosh, my anxiety is out of the control. Cause by the time we notice it, it's already in the red zone. And I remember being in this anger management class because I was an exploder, man. I, I zero to 1000 in milliseconds. And I remember this, the teacher, he was saying, you know, you got to start getting out in front of it. You know, when you feel it, 
in your body or when you feel it starting to, you know, build. And I'm like, but I don't feel it build. I mean, like I go and he's like, that's a lie. That's a lie. He said, Mm -hmm. it's building in your body. You just aren't used to becoming aware of it. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I said, so when do you step away? Like, when do you stop it? And he pointed to his body, he pointed to his stomach. He said, when my anger gets to right here, Mm -hmm. he said, I make a different choice. And that was profound to me because it gave me that moment to become aware. It was little things like that that became these big moments. And so now when I started getting used to that, I was still having these exploding anger things. But in the process of it, I was becoming aware. Okay, like, where did I feel that? Where's it coming from? You know, at what momentum can I not stop it now? You know, when, when is it already started to roll down the hill? Mm-hmm. I like what Abraham Hicks always says is if you push a boulder off of a cliff, you can't get to the middle of the cliff or the middle of the fall and say, nope, stop. Right. I want to go a different way. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we get in that moment, we just got to let it play out, but we can still go back and study it and find out how we can, you know, work it out in a more healthy way before. So, so now when I start to feel anxious, I notice it in my body. I, I pay attention to my thoughts yeah, every time. Aware. Yes. Every time I find myself aware thinking now something. In sobriety. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have to be unaware. Right. <laughs> oh we're, not, we're fighting to be aware instead of fighting to be completely oh. unaware. It's a beautiful it's, it's, thing. It is. It really is. And I know it reminds that reminds me of like the chakras or yes. anything like that. You know, when there's a disruption in, yes. in certain areas, it's telling you like you need to heal this area. Yes. You need to heal that part of yourself. And yeah. And what yeah. is making you what is making that area like so I don't know, just like disrupted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like what's happening. I didn't there. know how much being aware of your body mind spirit all of it goes into your recovery oh my gosh it's a lot but it is it's a lot but but it's so much more that's why it's so much more you know when i see people like you and and so many amazing young human beings and human beings in general coming into this new place of recovery where they're realizing that this is a mind body connection and a spiritual connection it makes me so proud because when I began doing this for almost five years ago, these were the things I was dreaming about watching the world grasp and just knowing that, that it's happening is a huge, huge, like heart filler for me. Like it fills me to the point that, you know, I think this is it. And I'm like, this is what it was all for. And to see people coming out the gate, you know, they're getting clean and they're going right into, you know, getting it in, in ways that, that just wasn't possible. You didn't see that before. No, no. In fact, somebody says, get sober. And you're like, for what? To be an right. old chain smoker, drinking 15 mm-hmm. cups of coffee in a meeting and mm. talking about wartime, you know, like it did not show anybody not just being a dry addict and I was not going to be a dry addict anymore. Like I just refused to be that, that addict without my drugs, I just was not going to be that angry person. So this was the only way it was going to work. If I figured out something else, yeah. deeper truth, 
daily loving me coming home to myself maintenance yeah yes yes that's Mm -hmm. all what that is exactly is maintenance Mm -hmm. like like i got this sobriety how do i learn to operate in a life where there will come a time when using will not cross my mind where my first thought or 15th hundredth thought will not be well i wish i could take a drink right now or i wish i could Mm -hmm. pick up and i guess that's the hope that you want to give somebody just brand new sober is that if you work on yourself then eventually you will not be the gazelle just lying in wait to be attacked by the lion of relapse you know that's the best thing that you know i can ever say to somebody is yeah. that life is no fun that sober life where you're just always looking over your shoulder mm-hmm. to see if relapse is sitting there to yeah. to get you when things get rough yeah. i don't i don't like the example of well you're you're of addictions out in the parking lot doing push-ups mm-hmm. and it's waiting on you and it's just like Let's drop some of the fear and let's teach people how to love themselves, love their triggers for the information that they're giving them. Mm -hmm. Let's teach them how to study their themselves and create a recovery program that is not necessarily external to them. Like some of that needs to happen. You got to have your support groups. You got to have your stuff. You got to have other people. But there's a lot of things that you need to do within you that's going to happen when nobody else is around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you put no all your dependence. Do it for you. No, they can't. Yeah. They can't. And whatever avenue you find, you know, mm-hmm. don't you don't have to just go to one thing. Like if you do NA or AA, right. you don't have to just do that. Like do other things too. I feel like you can't just do that. <laughs> you can't. You're right. Yeah. You're right. It's, and not everybody agrees with AA or NA or right. religion or what, wherever they find their recovery. I mean, I, right. I've talked to people who do it on their own and I'm like, what? <laughs> but <laughs> that's yeah, how I was. So many different ways. Well, yeah. Well, what are some of the ways that you stopped using? I use medication assisted treatment whenever I first started coming off of the opiates because I knew I was not going to be able to work on my traumas, my head and my heart, if my body was still trying to kick, it wasn't going to happen. Because no matter how willful you are in your mind, when your body's sick about that third day, your body's going to overtake your mind and we're back out to get the instant, you know, fix of all that. So I did, I found a program in my area that was very strict. I wanted that program that was going to hold me accountable, that had rules I went for the program that everybody said, don't go to that program. Like, don't go to Coastal Horizons because they got too many rules. And I was like, that's where I'm going. And I made an agreement with myself before I went in because I had some experience with it in the past. And I'd had some success with it in the past. Um, I had just never gone within. I said, I'm only going to go a certain milligram. I will not go any higher. You're not going to make me go any higher. I, I got enough information within me to know that anything over this milligram right here ain't even really helping me it that's when you start to make me more dependent on you as a program so this is where i'm going to stay they had a lot of different programs so they had rape counseling and they had anger management Mm -hmm. and i took them all like i wanted everything they had i made my counselors counsel me 
I didn't let them do the, you know, just come in 30 minutes to fill your quota and go. Nope. Mm -hmm. I laid it all out when I went and I was like, I want help. I'm going to trust you to help me. And if you don't help me, I'll find somebody that will, but I'm, I got to be done with this. Like I'm going to die if I don't. And I've decided I don't want to die today. So that's where it is. I just became relentless. I took everything that I could possibly take to, to begin. I really started diving into my mind. I used podcasts. I used YouTube like crazy. I was a graduate of the university of YouTube, mm-hmm. um, always studying my mind, learning that, you know, the power of my mind was absolutely pinnacle and at work. And I did get into a bit of the religious part there early. Then I started, I got a vision for what, what is now, which I love, which is now the sober app. Like I had yeah. this vision <laughs> For this resource, this platform that would be a place that people could always have some type of recovery available to them at 2 a.m. when there were no meetings, there was no nobody and they needed something. So I started speaking online. I had started being asked to speak in the community, in our state, for our country, our U.S. Attorney General. I mean, I started doing a lot of things that started making me understand that I was built for more than just to be a junkie, which is what I believed about myself. I really began to give back. I did not do 12-step this time because they weren't very welcoming to people on MAT at the time. And I'm grateful that a lot of that has changed. Maybe hasn't completely changed, but it's changed some. So I had a lot of white knuckling times. You know, a lot of times that I barely stayed sober. My wife relapsed on heroin the first year that I got sober, was trying to get sober. It was wild, but I had a lot of accountability. I put a lot on my shoulders and I didn't want to lose it. That program I was in had a housing program. So my wife, my son, and I got to move out of my mom's house, which is where we were staying for a little while. That was very toxic. We moved into our own place and everything was riding on me. So my failure in my recovery meant homelessness, you know, losing our son, losing my family. I mean, it meant so much that I just, by any means necessary, and I was ready. I mean, that's a lot of weight to carry. It was a lot. It it was a lot. And some days I'm surprised I'm here, honestly, because some days it was just too much. But, you know, coming into that awakening was probably what really saved me in all that. Is learning how much my thoughts and my energy had to do with my experience. Yeah. And that I so was agree huge. with that. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. Huge. What kind of support do you have in your life surrounding your recovery today? Oh, man. Do you have a lot of support? I have a lot of beautiful, like I get a lot of support online. Yeah. I'm not necessarily a social butterfly. I guess nobody is at this point <laughs> with all the COVID crap still happening. <laughs> um, but um, I I really am a bit of a hermit, but I find a lot of support online. I just really do. Like, like you know, meeting you and yeah. and meeting so many people, you know, with Curtis and Danny and, yeah. and Dora Gosselin, who I'm going to be interviewing tonight. You know, Kim Bellis. Um, I have a great friend named Pamela Topjian, who's not in recovery herself, but, mm-hmm. you know, has a son that's in recovery. And 
And I have just come to appreciate that connection with other human beings at this point that are of like hearts and different things. And that's what I do a lot. And I, and I stay in consistent, I guess, pursuit of my deeper truth and my highest self. And so I'm always looking to be more free in every day. So I think that's a big part of my recovery. I don't, at, at, at eight years, I'm so grateful not to have to work on the urge to use anymore, but I'm still in pursuit of, of making sure that I'm continuing to be, you know, my highest and best, most divine self. And that, that really, you know, deeper truth, really, that's my jam, man. I just love it. And I always like uncovering things. One of my greatest resources is, is my great friend, Martin John Garcia, and he has a beautiful podcast called Recover Yourself, and he's now part of the Sober app, too, and he is, he's like my, he's my spiritual brother, and he always asks me these deeper questions about identity and being careful not to identify with certain labels and how to live beyond the labels, and he does a workshop that's basically helps you identify the stories that you're living under, you know, for, for anything that we, we encounter in life, no matter what it brings up, you know, especially if it brings up a negative feeling, Mm -hmm. if we can identify the story that we're telling ourselves about that and what that deeper underneath emotional, you know, part of us that we're trying to get met there, Mm -hmm. we can really free ourselves. Yeah. I think the goal is true freedom mm-hmm. and true to, to stand up and think that to look around in our world while we pay taxes and we buy groceries from the store and all that stuff, you know, to say we're free mm-hmm. is almost a laughable thing because we're not necessarily free. We're yeah. still dependent, but, but you can be free from what, is right. inside you that is holding yes. you down and keeping you stuck that's, and there's so yes. much like that yes. that sounds like hypnotherapy almost. oh my gosh like my, um, yes i had a sober author rebecca on mm-hmm. she was explaining about hypnotherapy and yes she's I gonna do that, it for dude. me and it's amazing i've never mm. tried it but i'm like wow like you can oh, really unlock things yes. in your past and change oh my gosh it's yeah. outstanding and i'm okay. so grateful to hear you and i forgot yeah. that that's actually a huge part of my okay. recovery my friend pamela topsian is is oh. the uh, founder of breakthrough hypnotherapy and we did so much work together and I, I sleep with hypnotherapy every night. Yeah. Like I've got a mask with Bluetooth <laughs> in it. And oh. every night I play, you know, mm-hmm. certain hypno- hypno- hypnosis. And then yeah. behind that, these affirmations roll behind mm-hmm. my, in, in the background, because your subconscious is what's really driving our everyday experience. And that's where we have to change. Beautiful thing about hypnotherapy is it, it calms your, your conscious, your monkey mind, if you will, yeah, and then speaks that. directly to that oh, subconscious. So I'm excited wait. for I'm you. Excited. Yeah. I'm super excited for you. It's going to be wait. I feel really, like it's really going to awesome. be life changing. It is. I feel like it I is. needed that like, forever. It is. Where, where were you? I um, love it. Yeah. I love that. Keep me posted yeah. on how it goes too. I, I can't wait. Will. I can't wait. What are some of the ways that you stay sober every day? 
every day. I, I just, I keep on the guard of my mind and my energy. I guard myself. Like I just don't let any random thing be playing in the background of my life. I try to be very mindful about the people that I allow in my, you know, reality. Um, not that people are bad, but you know, it, I have to guard that in myself. You know, my life depends upon it. Um, it's not I, that people are bad, but there are some people that, you know, you need distance from. Yes, yes. You your energies don't match. But, yeah. Yeah. Your energies don't match and you mm -hmm. have to learn about boundaries. You know, yeah. boundaries aren't mean. We have yeah. the tendency as a from a victim mindset to think mm -hmm. that boundaries mean you have to be mean to people. Yeah. That's not true. You've got to love yourself enough to stand guard, you know, at the door of your mind. So I really do a lot of mind work and and try to just make sure that I'm staying in control of what, as much as I can, of what I allow into my experience. I try to connect, even if it's just a, a message or an emoji on, on Instagram or something a day with somebody that I have just such a connection with. I can just look at their picture and just kind of feel that connection. Gratitude is a huge part of my life. It's the, my daily practice. I spend at least 15 minutes in the beginning of my day just completely immersed in that deeper level of gratitude. Not the kind where you just make a list, but the kind where you feel and you connect with that piece of gratitude. Like a meditation um, almost. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And and I do stay active. I have a very active physical job. So, you know, I, I'm staying active. And I found that especially in early recovery, when I when I exhausted my energy throughout the day, and I was really tired when I came home, it, it made it a lot easier for me just to, you know, relax and go to sleep and not want to get out and try to find and, and use. And, and so I was just tired. I created what I call my recovery battle plan. And it has changed over the years. And basically, in early recovery, your battle plan has to be all the way down to how are you going to drive to work? Like, study yourself. Is your route to work going right by the dope dealer's house? Is this the same route you would take every morning so you could stop by, get a fix before work? And, you know, we got to change the little things because those are the subconscious things that are giving us a lot of triggers. Your body reacting to you taking that route to work, you know, or driving that way to work. Your subconscious will begin to say, wait a minute, body, body, body. We were supposed to use now body, body, you know, and, and flood you. <clears throat> It's like uh, removing these habits, the habitual yeah. things in your everyday yeah, life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. It reminds Ease me of quitting smoking. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going all through these that. habits now. that we went through. Like, I yeah. never realized how ritualistic like smoking mm. was until I quit. And I was like, wow, that's. I'm, yeah, I'm realizing that right now. Like, yeah. every in order for me to be successful at this, everything's going to have to change. Like I'm going to have to make a new battle plan and it's going to have to look like new recovery. I'm going to have to do things different, wake up at a different time, you know, drink my coffee in a different yeah. place. Like there's all these things. If, if a person can learn to study themselves, they can develop an amazing battle plan for themselves to get out in front of it. Don't wait till you're in the middle of the trigger to start trying to fight out of it. Try to make a plan before. And that's just what I do with every day. I don't like to get in conflicts with people. I don't like to be around a bunch of negative energy. So I make that a part of my battle plan. I live by that every day. What 
message or life lesson have you learned from your own recovery that you can share oh, with man. others? I mean, there's probably a lot because <laughs> there's yeah. a lot in general. There's a lot, but the tagline that I live by and I always tell people is to get up from their give up and create a life that they love because you are the creator of your own reality. I know it's hard to swallow that, but it's true. We are creating in all moments our own experience of the world and that that no matter where you feel like you are in the world you know if you can just grab a hold to an inkling of hope then you can build on that and if you don't think you can then just take a moment to sit where you are and come out of that that place where you're 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 victimized and just sit where you are for a moment and realize that even getting the opportunity to wake up and breathe in and out is a nugget of hope because if I'm breathing, I can work on this and I can change. And so you can do this by making that decision. You just have to learn about that, like learn how powerful you truly are. Forgiveness is a huge deal. The moment that I realized this was one of the like most life-changing moments in my early recovery is realizing that when I replay these these traumatic things that happened to me over and over in my mind, I'm allowing those people to abuse me all over again. That my body and my brain is releasing the same chemicals, that it is going into the same, you know, like fight or flight mode. And that over a prolonged amount of time living like that, it is damaging my body and my brain, not to mention my spirit, yeah. but it is absolutely damaging my body. It's damaging my brain and it's causing me to live in the world on guard, a victim, you know, and just waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I think a lot of people that are just coming out of active addiction or still in active addiction are living like that because they have to be on guard. When you're moving in those circles, you are living in a war zone. And so you you it's feel like that, that obsess- way obsession yeah that yeah I'm yeah i'm so glad i don't feel that obsession me too or obsessed, oh my gosh thoughts anymore like yes that was so yes. hard and that was such a big part of what kept me trapped yeah, yeah because it was like a full-time wow. job you know that like how that, different we feel right I know. now from then it's i know crazy and if nothing gives your listener a listener hope, yeah. let that be the right. hope you hang on to today because you're listening to two people right now that both yeah. knew that we were down and out, like like felt hopeless. And and we both found a ray of hope, you know, even the slightest yeah. bit to build on. Mm-hmm. And if you stay, you know, relentless with it, you know, just, just every day, I got really curious about what my purpose in this life was because yeah. I survived and many of my friends yeah. didn't. And so get curious about that. You know, purpose will help pull you through on days that yeah. you just don't want to get out of bed. You know, I can I can already imagine this podcast has probably pulled you through, you yeah. know, certain times that you just didn't want to deal with anything. And, you know, the fact that that you have something to share and that you feel like this is your upper calling and stuff, mm-hmm. that purpose will pull you through regardless of what it is. Yeah. So 
get in search accountable absolutely i never thought i would be on the sober app or i never thought i'd be interviewing anyone else like i thought i just started as my own thing where i could just discuss stuff i've been through the recovery scene online is so beautiful it is everyone i'm meeting i'm like oh my gosh my heart's so warm and i never knew there was like all this community online absolutely Yes. And what a beautiful mirror that you're meeting people with hearts yeah. that just fill you up with gratitude because they're mirroring your heart. You know, that's mirroring your energy back to you. I say to people right now, if you want to know how you're vibrating, look yeah. at the people in your life. Yes. If everybody has that same kind of vibe, that's your vibe too. Mm-hmm. And in order to find a new tribe, you got to change your vibe. Yeah. And you can do that by choosing different. I had to change the music I listened to, man. Like when I yeah. tell you that I got rid of as many triggers as I could, I did, man. You I know, because yeah. I had to. I had mm-hmm. to, man. I did not want to suffer for suffering's sake. You know, yeah. I, I was gonna suffer on my own anyway. I got I had a lot of shit to deal with, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to add extra to it to the yeah. point that I was just so exhausted that I wasn't gonna be able to hold that damn back anymore you know we can only be so strong physically you can hold this light cup up for however long but eventually your arm's going to get tired and you're going to drop this thing you add a bunch of weight to this thing and it's going to take even less time before it's dropped and then you're going to spill a mess and then it's there's no reason for you to be the one putting weight in here you know like 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 drop some of it you know, realize that forgiveness is not for somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's for you. It's not excuse. Mm-hmm. It just means that they're not thinking about you. So but important. You, yeah. When you think about them, they're abusing you all over again. So you might as well be five. You might as well. And that is the moment where you got to say, I get it, man. Like mm-hmm. if I don't let this go and I don't release them, You know, I ain't got to make a phone call and say, oh, thank you for sexually abusing me. It was so fun. Or I forgive you. That's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. It's about, hey, man, I'm sorry this happened to you. And we're acknowledging that it did happen to you. And I love you. And we're going to release this stuff and this person because you don't deserve to get sexually molested every day of your life at age 40. Like enough's enough already. You, you've you been abused like that every single day. So man, I love you and let's move through this. Mm-hmm. Because if you walked into a room and you saw a five-year-old sitting there that had just been molested, mm-hmm. what would you say to that five-year-old? What would you do? Like you would wrap your arms around that five-year-old and you would scoop them up and you take them out of there and you would cry with them and you would hold them and you would tell them it's going to be okay. So why do you try to shut the five-year-old in you up? Mm. You wouldn't do that. And so don't do it to you because that little kid's still living in you, regardless of what it is. Mm. That's why that forgiveness is so important. It's for that little kid. It's not yeah. for that other person. And It'll free that, you. you know, It'll free that- you. It's a, yeah, it's so freeing, the freedom mm. you get from yes. releasing all that. Oh my yeah. gosh. And I like how you put that, talking about like how we have our younger selves in us or, mm-hmm. you know, us at different ages. And that helps to kind of break it down and see how you have to heal. Yeah. 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 They're all mm-hmm. a part of you. Like, I can't be this Elsie today without 
all those parts of me and I want to give all of them their turn at the mic. You know, every one of them, their turn with happiness. They deserve Mm -hmm. that. I keep living for them and I keep going for them. Yeah. And they're amazing. Let it hurt. Let it heal. Then let it go. Yes. I I did a podcast episode on it. It's true. A lot of hurt. And then we come to healing and then we have to learn to let it go. And yeah. 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 It, It leaves so much more room inside of you to experience good when we block ourselves out from all the bad or, or what we think is going to hurt us we're blocking ourselves out for the good i mean you can't build a wall that doesn't stop everything it doesn't there's not like this two-way wall you know where you can stop bad and letting good and when you change your relationship to what's actually bad when you change yourself from judging that something's bad or good or that you're bad or good and just accept that this is what is right now And I can grow through this too. Like, I don't have to just go through it to go through it. I can grow through this. Grow through it. Yeah. The hurt comes in the Mm -hmm. wishing it were different. You know, the suffering comes in wishing that this Mm -hmm. were different. How many of us carry around these feelings of abuse and the suffering's not always about the abuse. It's about Mm -hmm. wishing it didn't happen or wishing it could have been different and really we have I mean, to accept in, that it in is Buddhism, the saying is that like everything is suffering everything in yeah. life is suffering there's a way to kind of come back from to yourself and you learn that suffering's okay but learn how to like master it and yeah yeah just, yeah. yeah it's not easy you know we, we have nothing beautiful conversations easy. but you're right it's not and nothing worth having or keeping is ever yeah. comes easy anyway mm-hmm. and you'll fight for this when you do yeah. this kind of work that we're talking about and what you've done and what i've done I'll fight for this, man. Like, and it's worth yeah. it. It's worth it to me. I never oh, yeah. want to go back. Me neither. Never. I don't think I can. Like, uh-uh. I mean, we could because we're always recovering, and I'll believe that forever. I'm not recovered. I feel no. like I'm always a working progress. You know. Yeah. And yeah. I would, you know, it's just sad to me when people are stuck in that darkness, stuck in yeah. that addiction, and yes. can't see a way out. You know, and yeah. it's frustrating. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you, you know, I wouldn't want will. anyone to feel what I felt before. Yes. Oh my oh, gosh. I hate the darkness. I hate it. I know. Even though we have that darkness and stuff in us, and we gotta find the balance. I think the yeah. what we hate so much was living in the constant darkness. like never getting the rays of light or when we would see the light it would be on somebody else and it's like that's not available to me Mm -hmm. and when we realize that what's available for one is available for us too we just may have to take a different route to get it Mm -hmm. and once we realize that to have survived active addiction and to be in recovery you're actually blessed because yeah. you're in a place where you get to awaken to your your greatness, your divinity, far quicker than somebody who you think has had all the breaks that live in the perfect house or what we right. think is the perfect house with the perfect life and the perfect childhood and mm-hmm. all of these things, they're not going to awaken as as deeply and as fast as you will because you have the contrast of what you really don't like so that you know what you like and and you can accept nothing less because our lives depend on this you know they don't have anything that heavy standing right here pushing them forward we do we may not have like i know for me i don't have another relapse like i won't get to come back from the other one 
you know, like one more, I won't get to come back. And I know that. Mm -hmm. So having that knowledge allows me to walk throughout the day and, and keep moving forward because the alternative isn't good. No, no, not at all. Like this is the chance that I got to make. Yes. Yes. That one, uh, that last chance, like in how many chances have we had? Right. Oh my gosh. Uh, Like I'm out of chances. Like there's no way I got another one left. No, God pokes me or something. And you know, like get your shit together. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. What are you most grateful for today? The most grateful. I know there's a lot of gratefulness. (laughs) I'm grateful for deeper truth. I'm grateful to know that I have access to a deeper truth in the world. I am grateful to be part of the awakened. I'm grateful to be continuously awakening. I'm grateful to be alive on earth in this moment because it's a challenging yet amazing time to be alive and watch the collective awaken. I'm truly grateful for my wife, man. I have a wife that has stuck with me through, I mean, doctors giving me a six month diagnosis. I'll be dead in six months. I mean, this woman has walked through fire with me and we've walked through fire together. And we are an example that a using relationship can work if you work on making it healthy and you work on yourselves individually. I, I have a great family. I, I'm just, but I, I'm just so grateful to know that I have a choice today of how I make my day, you know, like I'm grateful for the knowledge that I have about my energy and my thoughts and even law of attraction i even hate saying that because you know it's so overused right now but i'm grateful to know the deeper truth of how that works what you put out you get back absolutely bad or good whatever you know negative or positive i'm just grateful to have an amazing online recovery family i'm grateful to have an amazing online recovery platform i'm grateful for so much like i we could probably sit here for the next 12 hours and i could not reach the end of my list (laughs) but that's a great question and and it's a great thought it's it's a great you know like thought prompting task Mm -hmm. gratefulness is in our lives every day Yes. No, yes. can't forget that. No, and it's mm-hmm. a choice. It's a choice. Yeah. You can choose. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And I'm looking forward to having you on the podcast yes. too, you know, coming up because I'm a really, really, really want to dive into your story of, yeah. you know, I think that a lot of children that have been adopted mm-hmm. have these hidden feelings within. Yeah. And, and I think that we don't talk about it enough and pay enough attention. So, you know, I'm grateful to have really made a good connection with you and and I and I am so thankful for what you do, what you're doing. Like, oh, like thank you. when yeah. you do this, it, it 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 means something to people like me, you know, that that are kind of call us dinosaurs that that began this online thing, you know, quite a few years ago and now get to see the results of it. And it's just a beautiful knowing that it's worth it. Yeah. So that's all I want to leave. Thank you. Thank you with. all for being inspiring. Because without that, there wouldn't be the platform for us to. I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, thank I you so it. much, Elsie. Yeah, thank you. You're amazing. You. you are too. I appreciate <laughs> I'll talk you. talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Right. Have a blessed Bye. evening. Bye. You too. Bye.
Thank you.